get our art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9 p.m. California time on YouTube. You can check us out. We rip the best audio from that live show and put it here in a podcast form. And today we're talking about how to perform under pressure. We're meeting with Scott Circland, Joshua Kimball, and myself, Corey Kerr. Okay, so this has just been on my mind lately um, because I remember kind of when I was an early illustrator and designer um, struggling kind of finding a balance like and getting really freaked out about deadlines and kind of it taking a while to kind of find this sort of like zen thing that you kind of get. Um, where it's sort of like, so, so I guess what I'm getting at is like it, when you're an artist and when you're especially a commercial artist and you're doing that for a living, there tends to be pressure involved because there's always a, usually a deadline. And, um, and so there's pressure and there's like a lot of kind of techniques and stuff to dealing with pressure, ways to kind of break down problems into like simpler solutions um, that kind of help with, with different pressure, but, um, but like the artist life, like even half of like most of graphic design is just problem solving. And that in itself is kind of like taking pressure and kind of depressurizing it. (laughs) And, um, it's, it's a weird thing, but it's like, I feel like it's an ability that, um, most people I think who've been seasoned in the field, like have kind of developed. But it, but it's definitely. I don't know if it's like our natural, like default state, to uh, to kind of um, not bow to pressure or not basically like cave when pressure hits. So, I guess what I was gonna just, I thought would be a good topic, and I, I thought, um, you know, I, I think we'd all have kind of like probably current, uh, you know, stories and stuff related to that. It's just like how how do you guys deal with like pressure like deadline pressure, um, finding clients pressure, <laughs> you know, um, how, just how do you deal with generally the the kind of pressure that comes with um, being an artist and and by the way to pair to kind of preface this too I don't want to um, I don't want to give the impression that I'm saying like art is so terrible and it's so full of pressure because what we do for a living is super fun. Um, but there is pressure. So, um, so that, so what I'm getting at is just kind of like, how do you guys deal with the pressure? Um, what do you guys do to kind of coach people who maybe are newer to the field? Cause I think we've all mentored people, Mm -hmm. um, and stuff that are, that are kind of newer to it and are going to kind of feel that pressure like way heavier. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just thought it'd be an interesting topic. So, yeah, it is an interesting topic. I, I feel like Josh, this might be one uh, that could go for three or four episodes as well. Um, for sure. So, what if each of us talks about um, advice we would give people to starting out on this episode, and then we can kind of move into move into something on the next episode? Because otherwise, I think it's going to be like an hour long plus thing. For sure. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll start when when I when I am lecturing on on this topic because it's part of 
I think it's part of a creative life that you are going to have to deal with. Uh, two things: one is burnout, and the other one is um, the other one is just you know like performing creative practices under pressure is actually really hard. Um, so a lot of a lot of what I'll say is basically um, you need to as fast as you can get a couple projects under your belt and completed because what that does is um, intellectually you can understand that you can withstand stuff but until you experientially understand it uh, it's not in your gut and in your gut is how you beat the mental stuff and so um, like I have a project and I have this one class and it's probably one of the hardest classes that people take it's this class on vector graphics and uh, and there's a project that I specifically put in there because it is so hard um, it seems impossible but it's actually just time-consuming um, once you learn like how to do it it's, it's skeuomorphic design it's making a photorealistic illustration in Adobe Illustrator of like a watch and these students who have never touched Adobe Illustrator before and now have about four weeks of experience take two weeks and do this and it is amazing what they're able to accomplish and the cool thing about it is they are amazed at what they're able to accomplish and then I just tie it back and I say now that you've done that you now understand that all it takes is knowing how to figure things out and work if you can know how, if you know how to think figure things out and you're willing to put in the work there's literally nothing that can stop you from doing anything and you know that in your gut that will oftentimes not necessarily alleviate the pressure, but help categorize the pressure as something that can be accomplished. So if yeah. it's like, if I've never had that experience and I've got tons of pressure, that pressure is terrifying because I, it could kill me. I could, I could die. I could never finish this thing. I don't know, right? There's just like intellectually you have this battle, but if you knock out like a skeuomorphic design or you knock out like a mini comic or you knock out like a series of videos or you knock out 100 Days of Making Comics or a sticker stint or something like that, those are really, really hard. But also all it takes is time and effort. And if you can do that, at the end of that, you're like, yeah, I can do that. And you know that in your gut. I feel like that's one of the main components that can help a beginner out of, out of that pressure is, is just knowing that it's possible. Yeah, for what, sure. What do you think, Scott? Uh, is uh, so the the top the topic is I mean this part of this topic is that advice for like what what advice. would you tell what would you tell somebody just starting out into a creative life whether that be writing or videography or illustration or whatever um, on how to deal with mitigate handle uh, the pressure and the possible burnout. Yeah, that's it's kind of that's kind of a tough one because like I definitely I mean this this topic really relates to me right now because like I said before is that I'm made, I have this huge transition where I'm going from you know being full time employed with that side hustle to that side hustle being the main thing and I, I, for somebody starting out I mean it seems like in a lot of ways I'm so far removed for that I, I mean I I am sort of starting out but it's i feel like i've got a head start because i already started building this it's nowhere where it needs to be in order to make it sustainable to make up for all that um but i guess you know i i guess the one thing i would say i guess um is to sort of rely on your strengths because that's kind of what i'm i'm trying to do right now because there are certain things that that 
have worked for me in the past that I'm trying to focus more on that, you know, not basically that. I don't know if the, I don't know if this equates to like that 80, 20 rule where, you know, you, you kind of don't concentrate on that, that is it that the 80% that's not working, but the 20% that does. Right. So there's a lot of things that, that I was sort of planning on doing, but I'm like, I don't know if that can, if I can build a business off of, off of that right now. I mean, this like, that stuff that, like for instance, my comic. I'm still going to finish it, everything, but I don't have any delusions that that's going to be, um, that that's going to be a big money maker. Now, when I get to the Kickstarter, I'll probably earn some money there, hopefully. But I really think that you know, my biggest thing is I've got to I've got to build that audience. I think the best way for me to build that audience. I mean, this could, I mean, I could crash and burn with this. I don't know, but I really think that if I if I'm able to offer some people some offer everyone something that they want that I know they want because they're they're on you know if they're following me they're probably comic book creators so I'm creating this this kit right now and it's just such there's so much value in it I mean I could sell this thing for a pretty decent chunk and I will probably make another version for sale that's a lot bigger but even with this basic model I mean just the fonts alone is worth that or it's worth signing up for a mailing list and getting for free and there's so much more to it so i i'm just hoping that this is going to be that this is really going to you know have an impact yeah you know so i i guess what what can you do that that can have that that, that, the biggest impact i guess some something something that you mentioned that i really like that i heard chris oatley say um chris oatley of the paper wings podcast and the oatley academy used to be a character designer at Disney, and I know you guys know this, but just for everybody else. Um, and he he was saying, um, as he was transitioning out, that he was really glad that he spent the time while he was working uh, side hustling, you know, and building up an audience. And what you've done is exactly the right thing. You didn't know when this was coming or if it was coming until kind of right at the end. But I think all of us with a day job should or anybody in any situation should be creating constantly and trying to add value to people's lives and 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 gather kind of a a tribe um you know uh because you never know when you're going to have to transition into something like that and if you hadn't done that and today was the first day that you're starting you'd be years behind whereas yeah you're at the press prep it's you're on the cliff that's the word yeah uh, you're at the edge right now, and and you never know what when it's gonna when it's gonna tip over and just and the and the key's gonna turn and it's gonna work for you and it could be, you know, it could be next week, you know. Um, yeah. But it d- definitely wouldn't be next week if you started today. It's because you started years ago and have been working yeah. on it consistently forever. So I think I think that's great too. Yeah, and I think how it relates to somebody if you're just kind of starting off, whatever you're doing, like hopefully you know you're in a position like if you if you want to make a go at say doing doing art full-time or whatever um you know if you if you do have a full-time job or whatever you know do do what i'm doing and maybe you maybe you can get further along than i am or maybe you can't but but you got to start like you just did a video on this today and i would recommend anyone watch the video that Corey put out on his youtube channel today about personal projects but there's there's not a perfect time to start you mentioned that you start start today and because like and it's a long haul i mean i've 
been trying to build this whole thing and it's, I mean, it's growing, but it's nowhere where it needs to be. But if I didn't start to begin with, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I anticipate, I don't anticipate it not growing more. It will, it will grow. It may take more time. I may hit some kind of stride or something that just boosts it. Maybe this is the thing you hear all those stories about people who, who, Oh, I was down. I mean, every success story, like I was down and out, I was down to my last dollar. And then, then I did this and it hit and I've never had anything hit like that, but I've had so many things that, that had the potential potential. So, and this might be the thing, but it's not, and even if it doesn't hit, I know it's going to make some sort of impact. It may not, you know, blow up or whatever, but it's going to be something that's going to add. Cause I've got all these little things that I've done that, that can earn a little money here and there. And the more I put out there. And that's another thing is like, don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket, especially yeah. like like with your day job. I was just watching a video, uh, the movie reviewer uh, Chris Stuckman. I don't know if you watch any of his stuff, but he's with he was with some kind of one of these. Uh, I don't know what they I forgot what the multi channel networks or something like that that just basically closed their doors, didn't warn anybody, and took a bunch of people's money. And it sounded kind of like, I mean, he he sounded like he had some some savings and stuff. But this guy's a huge YouTuber. I mean. Um, but he was talking about some of these other people that were that were also huge YouTubers that this just devastated him. And I'm like, oh, man, I mean, that if you have that audience, why aren't you selling something other than just trying to make money off of just AdSense? Because right. that could go away so quickly. I mean, if, yeah. if all your if everything you have is just in one thing, I mean, these like I said, these are people that are making a lot of money from YouTube yeah. AdSense. If they're not if they're not taking that audience and also doing stuff on the side. I mean, I, I do feel sorry for them, but in some ways I'm like, I mean, that's just, that's just not smart. I mean, you have the potential to, to, to take that fame and that, that recognizability and parlay it into all these other things. So you're not just concentrating on like one thing. Um, Cause that could easily go away, whether it's a full-time job, whether it's, I'll, if you if you're freelancing, you have like one client. Because I'm kind of in that situation now, where I have one client. But if that if that goes away, then you know, then I'm really in trouble. You know, sure. and I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to find so I'm trying to find more clients. You know, but eventually I don't want to do the client stuff so much. I want to do, you know, I want to do the stuff that I like. I want to sell my own stuff. But yeah. so right now, it's just kind of um, I'm putting all these things out there. I've actually I've sent some stuff out. You know applied for some full-time positions and you know i'm not like i'm not like just waiting by the phone that they'll call me because if they don't call me fine i mean i'll you know i mean that's that's okay for me because i i want to build my own thing yeah but if they do then i have to make that decision is that going to work with what i'm trying to do so i'm yeah. you know i'm trying different things and i'm, I'm trying to be smart about what i do because i'm not going to waste my time with something that that doesn't have any potential at all, but I am going to invest my time in, oh, maybe this, I can put a little attention here, a little attention there, and maybe all these things collectively can, um, you know, can earn an income and, and make me, make it so I can continue to do what I love to do. Yeah, and I think that ties into the pressure thing too, because it's like one of the things I'm, I'm kind of getting out of what you're talking about that that is helping with the, you know, the, the pressure of kind of just like a total change like that like change causes pressure you know even if you're like a person who handles pressure well and and what you're doing is being active and not passive and that's a huge thing too because 
one of the things that makes people feel pressure is a lack of action. And so it's like, you know, like you can freeze up and panic and get nowhere or you can move and tread water and swim and then you get somewhere and it's the weirdest thing, you know, yeah. and a lot of it's just having faith that you'll get somewhere, you know, yeah. um, and, and you, you know, like you've laid groundwork, so it's not blind faith. Like you, you, you know where you're kind of heading, you know what the possibilities are. And I think that's a really solid approach to kind of handling pressure too, that I think is kind of seasoned, like meaning I, I don't know if that's how most people react at first um with with stuff and uh yeah um i don't know i i just thought that was kind of cool the idea of like active versus passive reaction to it you know yeah and i i've had days where where i was like that where it's like i don't i don't know if i'm going to be able to do this what do i do i'm i'm in trouble here and then that's you know then i'm like well i've got all this stuff i got to do so i might as well just focus on that you know and yeah. some things rather but but yeah, I mean, it's, it's there, there'll be days like, and I've got, you know, like I said, I've got some freelance, I've got, I've got, you know, little bits of income here and there, and I've got some, some, some savings, not a lot. So, I mean, I'm, I have some sort of a window. So, but yeah. if, if none of these things happen, then I'm going to be in trouble and then I'm going to have to reevaluate. But, but there are, there have been days where, or not, maybe not a whole day, but like there are times like throughout the day where like, oh man, I don't, you know. I wonder, I don't know what I'm going to do. (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a little bit of both, but, but I have kind of, I, I've been through this so many times before that the more experience you have, like, you know, because every job I've, every art job I've ever had, save one, um, that I quit because it was horrible. I've been laid off from. So, um, so I'm used to it. And I, I never, like I said, I never take for granted that, oh, this, this is, I have job security. There's no such thing as that. Yeah, for sure. So every day, every day when I worked that job, I thought oh, I can go in today and be laid off, and eventually it did happen. So, yeah, and that that is actually a really important thing, kind of kind of reinforcing what you were saying, Corey was saying, and um, about the the fact that like like there really isn't like the idea of job security is an illusion. So, right. and I and I used to say that to people when you know people used to be weirded out when I ran my own business for like you know over ten years, and it's like. I was like 10 years in and people would be like, but how do you, how do you pay for health insurance? And I was like, I just buy it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, like, what do you do for dental? You pay for it. Right. Oh, well like, but I like my job provides that. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. That's part of your salary, dude. Like that's part of your money. Oh, it doesn't come out of my salary. Well then they're not paying you that amount, but they're paying you that amount. Like, I worked, I worked for, I worked for a company that, at the end of each year would show you a sheet that said, this is how much we're paying you. And here's all, here's the monetary value of everything else that you're getting. It was, it was a really weird conversation, but I also think it was, it opened a lot of people's eyes like, Oh, I'm actually getting a lot more value out of this company than I thought I was. Um, No. And like, I'll say coming from freelance, man, like uh, when I got into like an office, it was just like the, it was like night and day where I was like, wait, they just pay you vacation time. Like (laughs) there was stuff like that, that like are these entitlements that are just expected and built into the workforce that do not exist when you're running your own business and you have to kind of plan in. Yeah. But 
the point is like 10 years in people would be like what do you do about vacation well i just take a day off and put an out of office message what like you know like people would just be so weirded out and it's like dude it's as secure as your job like yeah and that's what i would say because like your your job relies on clients just like a freelancer relies on clients what happens if all those clients disappear right you know like it it's the same thing that happens when you're freelance and all the clients disappear so yeah, the dif- i was just going to say the difference is if it's your company you're responsible whereas like the company i was at before i have no say in how they market it or how they, you know, I can only do the best I can at my job, but if right. other people aren't doing the best they can yeah. at their job and it's not working, then, then you, yeah. you, you know, you don't have any control. At least if, if your business is failing, you're, 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 and you're running it, you're to blame and you can, oh, yeah. you can make corrections, course corrections and things like that. So, For sure. you so in some ways sure. there's more security because you have more control over it. Yeah, it's kind of like it's hard to think of it that way. I think you're pinning it down, though. And I think that's the thing that makes people freaked out about, you know, being self-employed is like the idea that like you literally have no boss to blame. Like when you're running your own ship, like you are literally the master of your own destiny. And if your destiny doesn't work out, it's your fault. And it's a tough thing that that's a that's a hard thing for people. And I think that's the thing. I think that's one of the core things that freaks people out about it. But I did it successfully for a long time. I got burnt out on it. I've gone into that over and over again, why I kind of like I I personally kind of prefer a full time gig, although I have so many times where I am like I do kind of miss that life, you know. So but uh, but I I do think um, just everything you're saying is like really valuable, I think, for, for people who might be like freaked out about making the jump to freelance or maybe are in a similar position. Um, I, for me, I think the pressure that um, I, I kind of want to advise people on, because you guys hit everything pretty well, um, and the student pressure, <clears throat> that was really great advice, actually, because a lot of it's just doing it. Um, I, ex- I, I see a lot of... Um, like younger designers or artists like freak out about deadlines quite frequently. Yeah. And, um, or like workload, like if if the workload gets kind of chaotic and there's a lot of plates to juggle, like most people are okay when you hand them a plate, but if you hand them five plates, they're, they're looking at the five and freaking out. Right. And so it does kind of tie back to like almost like the 80, 20 rule. But the way I, I usually like to phrase it and it's kind of a weird way, but, I think that whenever you're looking at a problem and that's all that is, is a problem. Like now I have five plates, the one plate's a problem. The five plates are a problem. Yeah. Anytime you face a problem, your instant reaction is usually fight or flight. So you want to either pass it off. I mean, this is just like mind instinct. I I, I guess psychology is, it's just like the human instinct when faced with conflict wants to, Fight or flight, so that you know you you or, want to pass or, the buck. Everybody always forgets the third one: freeze. Yes. So there's pass there's the actually buck. there's three: there's freezing, there's fighting, and there's running. That's that's totally true. So you pass the buck, which which is kind of running or passing the buck. Um, you know, like you want to pass the plates to somebody else. Here, you hold these. You know, um, or you get angry and you break the plates, <laughs> or you just freeze holding the plates. And nothing happens. And the the point being, I, I'm just using plates as a metaphor of like juggling. But the but the point is just, um, 
when you're facing a problem, like a giant problem, one of the best things to do is to look at it, assess it, and break it into segments. Yeah. Um, because and don't try to attack all the segments at once because that's going to lead to freezing, fighting, or running. Because like at some point, if you're trying to tackle 20 things at once, you will literally you, you'll have a mental breakdown because we're not made to multitask as human beings. Um, there are so many people who say, I'm great at multitasking. It's a good thing to say in a job interview. Yeah, I, I'm really good at multitasking, but no one is good at multitasking. And, um, and, even, and if you are a guy, uh, genetically it's impossible. Women, yeah, yeah. women women have the neurological ability to multitask because they have a corpus callosum that's significantly larger than men. Men literally yeah, men literally don't have the uh, the neurological ability to hold two different thoughts in their mind at the same time. Exactly. So what I recommend, and, and this is even, like, they've done studies on multitasking, um, even with people who are, are supposedly good at multitasking, and what usually results from multitasking is more frequent errors. Right. Um, so, so, like, what do you do when you're in a position where you have to multitask, which is art and illustration and design? Like, you have to do a lot of multitasking. Scott is heading into multitasking, you know, well, a, a I, huge amount because of the fact that like now we, you know, there, you have to find clients, you have to maintain clients, you have to fulfill requests for clients, you are trying to build a brand and I could keep going on and the list just keeps growing and it, and it literally won't shrink. So if you tried to attack all of those things at once, it would cause like, it, it just would cause disaster. I, so instead Josh, what I always I, recommend. Oh, I think sorry, it's really ahead. important to differentiate uh, having a lot of different things to do in a time period and actual multitasking because, um, exactly. and, and I know you understand this, but just for, for those, those people listening, there, there is, there is a, a specific difference and it's a really important difference. You can spend your day doing a lot of different things and even have to, having to switch neurological mo uh, modality from a creative to an analytical to a you know, logical to uh, nonlinear or whatever throughout the day. Um, but uh, multitasking is actually trying to, in the same time period, do more than one thing at the same time. And, and, and what happens with that is, is what Josh is talking about, where you start to make mistakes and whatever. Um, and I think where you're going, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go there. But I just wanted to make sure that we, you can, you can switch tasks. Draw that line, yes. But... Um, that's different having a bunch of different things to do than actual multitasking, which is trying to do those things at the same time. Yeah. And, and so like a, a, a lot of people, like there is this misconception that you can successfully multitask and there are, there's so much science behind the fact that you can't, um, the kind yeah. of that he just defined. So instead of trying to multitask, I always recommend people do what I call microtasking, which is basically you take a massive, task or a massive group of tasks and you break it into little feasible goals. So um, with my graphic novel, a perfect example, if I tried to, like even right now, as far as I'm into it, if I start thinking about too much about the quantity of pages, I am tempted to give up, to uh, tear up the pages or to like, right, like flight, fight or right. freeze. 
Yeah. And and literally because because it's overwhelming. It's it it actually in my brain is still impossible to do, and yet I'm really close to finishing it. Yeah. And so so the and and this is why things like the hundred days of making comics are great. Um, and I'll I'll tie that in at the end. Um, and I'll, I want to let Corey chime in too because I'm sure he's he's probably in agreement with this because I think we all use this. But anyhow, I recommend like taking the giant problem, breaking it down into small feasible chunks that are areas where you can actually significantly stop, categorize it somewhere else, and switch modalities like Corey was talking about. So. I'm doing something analytical. I get to a point that feels like a good stop, like it's it's a marker in the race, and I switch racetracks. You know what I mean? Right. And that way, you're allowed to. You're. It's like you're mentally tricking yourself to be able to give full focus to every little thing you're doing, um, to the point where there are less errors, there's more concentration, and you're able to kind of engage the creative mind. Because this is really um, one of the most difficult things about being a creative um, under the gun, which is a paid creative, um, because there's always deadlines. And yeah. the tough thing is, how do you force creativity? And the, the problem is, you need space to be creative, but you also need to hit deadlines. And that's the big juggle of being a professional artist. And that's it, like students struggle with it. Um, people who've been at it for a long time struggle with it. And this is literally one of the only tricks I've seen that just effectively works where you, you have to kind of break things into reasonable chunks. So it's like, um, you almost want to look at it like you're being asked to eat an entire cow, <laughs> like, or, you know, if you're a vegetarian, you're being asked to eat like a, a, a giant, I don't know what's a big, an, um, an entire row of vegetables in a field. Yeah. What is a, a jackfruit, a whole jackfruit? Yeah. So, I mean, what are you going to do to do that? Like, uh, you know, if you look at professional eaters who have to eat like a million hot dogs, they have little tricks. Right. Like they're dipping the hot dog in water so that the bread kind of gets smaller. And, <laughs> that, that, that always reminds me of The Office. When they have oh, the, totally. <laughs> let it slide down right. your gullet. <laughs> But total, I mean, like that's there. There have to be like these developed techniques to be able to take things in small chunks. Because if you try to attack the entire thing, you're gonna choke to death and you're gonna freak out. And like, and and one of the worst things you can do in a professional environment, where let's say you're running your own business, like the last thing you want to do is blow that deadline with that core client that you, like your business is built on client relationships with with the freelance business. So like the last thing you want to do is burn those core clients that could be those base clients that are like the foundation you build your whole thing off of. Yeah. So, and, and by clients, I'm also talking about like for creator owned stuff, like that doesn't just mean like, you know, like Miller light called me and I really need to do a good job on this and hit the deadline so that I can build a relationship with a giant customer. That would be a good win if you're aiming for that. But this could also be for like, I need to deliver this product on time to my customer or like Scott was talking about, like that reliability that he's kind of built in into his, his own ethic where like if he does a Kickstarter and says it'll be by Christmas, it will be by Christmas. Right. Like that kind of thing is going to gain a following that's more loyal to you. Um, but like once again, 
if you tried to do everything in a Kickstarter campaign without breaking it down into like reasonable, possible things, you'll freak out and probably never run a Kickstarter. You know, like yeah, it's it's just one of those things that um, I it, it it and I know it's obvious uh, and to a lot of people, but I'm amazed at how many people don't put it into practice. And then when you do it gives you this weird calm amid a storm because then when you're handed handed like 20 plates, you're like, well, okay, it's time to start breaking these into little chunks and figuring out how we're going to do this. Right. Instead of being like, oh my gosh, it's 20 plates because you're looking at the hole, you know? Um, so in a weird way, it's like you almost want to uh, look at the trees and not the forest. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird thing. I, I think, I think uh, this is something I pointed out in, in class the other day. <clears throat> DKNG puts out a lot of speed videos on and timeless videos of their work. And one thing that I see them do that's that I think is a skill that people miss is they it's almost hard to watch their time-lapse videos because they zoom in and out constantly. And and it's really interesting because they'll zoom in, they'll do some detail work, they'll zoom out to check to see how that looks, and then they zoom in to do some detail work. And I think that um, you know, that, that old saying that you can't see the forest for the trees, meaning you're so focused on the trees that you're missing the forest, or you're so focused on the little task that you're missing the big picture can definitely happen. And the inverse can happen. You can't see the trees for the forest. You know, if you're only focused on the big picture and you freak out, you run or you try to burn the forest down or something. I was trying to think of what a, what fighting a forest would be like, but uh, but but yeah. So so there's that idea of having kind of both of those in mind. I, I gave myself some notes, but I think uh, one thing on that kind of did you call that microtasking? Yeah, um, is is to be aware of of something. They've done studies. There is a task switching penalty. I have to say that slowly because I can't say it fast. But there's a task switching penalty to where if you switch. Uh, modality in your head, right? You go from a, a creative to an analytical or something like that. Um, it takes you roughly, it takes the average person roughly 18 minutes to become productive. So if you're productive and you switch tasks to something that causes your brain to be different, um, there's a ramping up time. But if you're in a specific, in a specific way of thinking, you can do a number of tasks as long as you don't switch that way of thinking and, and, and continue that momentum. So yeah. the, the way that the way that people will describe this in that cartooning sense is like, if you're working on three pages at the same time, which some people do and some people don't, I prefer it that way. Um, and you you do all the thumbnails in one batch, and then you do all the pencils in one batch, and then you do all the you know whatever. I don't recommend that for like a forty page book, but like two or three pages at a time, or two or three panels at a time. What, what that does is you avoid or lessen that task switching penalty. So I, I actually think that might be like a whole topic. And then the other thing that I was thinking of while you were talking, and I've actually made two or three videos in the last couple months about this topic because I've noticed that what I assumed was a natural way of thinking is actually weird and way more mature and i don't mean like mature immature i just mean like time long tooth you know time and experience um is is just back planning what i call back planning which is what josh is talking about here you're saying you know you have this giant goal at the end and it's huge and it's daunting and whatever and instead of looking at that you say okay how do i need to get there 
All right, well, just before that, this has to happen. And before that thing, I've got to be able to do this. And before I can do that, these three things have to happen. And where am I right now? I'm right here. So what's in between that and this? All of a sudden, what you've done is you've started at the end, reverse engineered all of the steps that you needed to do. Yeah. And then you just move forward and you do the one that's closest to you. To me, that seems so obvious that it, for actually up until like this last six weeks, I've spent like four years around college students. So they're 18 to 24 years old. And I'm like, why is it that every time I give you guys something, you freeze? And it's because the way that I teach, I give them exceptionally high expectations in a very ambiguous environment with very little direction. Because that's kind of how industry is. Whether you're working for someone or for yourself, no one comes to you and says in, in either situation, here's the clear path that you need to take to accomplish this thing. And I want you to check in with me on each of these stages on these dates. That, that rarely happens, and if it happens, those are big milestones that they want you to check in. You still have to chunk it down. What, what typically happens in most situations is they say, hey, we need this thing. And then they don't, they don't talk to you until you tell them, hey, I need to touch base with you or whatever. They might say, hey, how's that going? But like, it's on you as a creator to back plan and break that up into yeah. tiny little chunks and say, okay, here's the, here's the big giant goal and here's me with nothing. How do I get from nothing to big giant goal? Step by step. What are those steps? Well, let's start a big giant goal and reverse and then figure out where I am and what do I need to accomplish? And then, yeah. all, and then all you do is instead of having this huge obstacle in front of you, you have, uh, well, I just need to build the, the next step in the staircase how do I do that? Well, it looks like I've got these tools and these opportunities, so I do that. Okay, I've taken that step. What's next? And then you just continue heading in that direction, and, and you that's know, it. I, I can't help but think of like that, um, and I don't watch uh, boxing a lot, but I watched that Mayweather match where he fought the UFC dude. Uh -huh. And I, I think that's a really good example, weirdly enough, of like a good tactic for accomplishing a very hard task even though I don't think Mayweather was like breaking much of a sweat in that because it's just, it was, it, it was his sport, you know? Yeah. But, but the point being, if you watch this boxing match, you're watching somebody make every move very tactically because they knew that the person who was boxing them was going to wear themselves out by a certain round. Right. And so every step was methodical to wear the giant down so that you could knock them out. Right. And and this is like a, a, a you know, a boxing technique that's been used for years. Mayweather's really famous for it because that's kind of his thing. That's why a lot of people don't even like watching his fights because he's really tactical. Yeah. And, but what I'm saying is he's effective. And if you are tactical with your fight, which is art, you know, and you kind of wear it down, it's not such a giant and it also that back planning thing that Corey just touched on is huge for freelance. If you can't do that, you are going to blow your quotes to clients. You are going to promise the impossible and then you're going to under deliver and you're going to blow your reputation. If you can learn to do that, you can have a conversation very wisely say, I will get back to you with a quote instead of just throw it out there. <laughs> do the math. Yeah. of like each point you have to hit and what date or time you'd have to hit it to accomplish what they're asking. And then you can come back with 
um, you know, if it's a real stretch, but it's doable, then you come back with a rush fee. If it's a, if, if it's doable and, and it's pretty reasonable, you come back with a reason, a fair fee. And if it's impossible, you come back with, this is what I can give you because you're at, like, I literally cannot deliver what you're asking. Yeah. And that's, that's like, that's a much better thing. It's much better to do your Kickstarter and say, I can't promise Christmas. I'm aiming for this. Most likely it will be around here and you've back planned it. So, you know, yeah. like that's, that's a much better place to be in a much better position to be, but it's, but it is a tactical thing. And that is that weird kind of switching from the, from the trees to the forest. And it is hard to do because when you start, you very much are, are in the trees. Most of your early jobs will be asking you to look at the trees. Right. And then, you know, there's people in higher positions who have to do that navigation. Switching mod modalities, though, I don't know if this is true psychologically. I know for myself, um, that threw me for my first probably two years as an art director because you that is the job. Right. Like the job is you're fixing designs, you're <clears throat> thinking about color, you're thinking about uh, that. At the same time, you're thinking about political stuff, like you, like and and political, not dirty political, like like what's the morale like in the room? Mm -hmm. Like how do people feel? Like are people content where they are? That's going on. Um, you're, th you're, you're having to think on like 50 different levels. And I think that's why like when I went into art direction, one of my older art directors at an education place I worked for, I emailed him because I was like panicked. I was like, I've never done this before. What, what's your advice? And he was like, um, just try to do the best for your team. Yeah. And uh, enjoy the gray hair. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, in, in like the first year, year you're going to start getting gray hair. <laughs> and I did. I literally did. Like that was the first year where my hair started graying. And yeah. it, it was literally from stress. I mean, it's like a crazy job. And what's weird is from going through that and having to get through that 15 minutes of just like, what? Wait, I have to switch. This is after a while you get really comfortable with it. And then like that 15 minutes, at least for me seems to shorten where yeah. it's like, I can, I can switch gears much more effectively. And also I can respond to like fires, like huge things that would freak most people out at a job um, with just like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Like you just put what you're doing on pause and you handle the fire. And it's this weird thing that, um, like once you've seen behind the curtain of it, it, it's a little weird and it makes me really sympathetic to like bosses I had that I wasn't nice to <laughs> like, yeah. um, but it's, but it's fascinating and it's a skill and I feel really blessed to have that skill and be developing it because it does translate to when I get home and I have that, like I'm putting my son to bed. I'm trying to be a dedicated dad and like, I'm trying to like, you know, like play games with him and stuff like that. And then I'm switching like the second he's asleep, I'm like, I have to hit comics as hard as I can for the next, you know, whatever window I have till something else or till I have to sleep. And I don't have time to like feel weird and warm up. Like I don't have time for that. Right. But the beauty is because of what I'm doing all the time at work, I'm able to like, when I'm at my art desk, I start. Like I don't have like a massive like warm up moment or like a fifteen minutes where I have to get in the zone. I just am in the zone because it, it and anyhow, 
this but, is going to veer off onto no, like but, but way you're bigger saying, topics. But but you're saying that you spent a couple of years getting to that point, right? Yes, and most of it's habit building. So that that, because, that makes sense to me. This might be something that um, I don't, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Because um, there's a term called neuroplasticity, um, which is the concept that you can actually rewire your brain to do specific things. And the neurologists say neurons that wire together fire together, meaning that we actually groove routes. Just, just like if you were to trailblaze something and then a bunch of people followed you and then a tractor followed you and then it became a road and then it became a freeway, like that freeway is much more effective means of travel than the you trailblazing um but yeah. it's because it was traveled a lot and that happens in your brain too and so neuroplasticity is is the term that you just described where it's like you started out just like everybody had the task switching penalty and it was hard and stressful and then because you continued to do it and continued to optimize that process it became faster and faster and faster until now it's like second nature to you it's because your brain has adapted to your environment. And so yeah. that, that's definitely a thing. So that's what we got on pressure. Probably more episodes to come, but I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. You can join us in the conversation either on Twitter or you can jump into the chat uh, on the comments on YouTube. You can check out Scott's stuff at, let me pull, let me pull up his website. You can check out Scott's stuff at cirqueworks.com, uh, brand new website. There he is in his green lab coat and all his cool stuff. Um, go check that out and uh, check out the store. I mean, Scott has just, I mean, some of the best posters that I've ever seen yeah. that involve um, creativity. And it's just, it's stuff that really hits home to like the um, motivation and 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 uh, movement and thinking and creating. And I, I just love um, the humor and the retro vibe too, and the texture, the colors, and the illustration, everything is that it is amazing. And so, get get yourself a poster or a T-shirt or uh, you know or whatever in Scott's site. I'd really recommend that. And now is a great time for that, um, as he's uh, as he's transitioning from uh, from from day job to freelance. Um, so if you've been on the fence, uh, or if you haven't thought about it, go go get something because it's great stuff. And then if you want to see. Um, Josh's stuff, you can go to quarterlystories.com. And the best thing that you can do for Josh right now is get on Tapas, 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 Tapas.io. Tapas, I don't know. Yeah. Tapas, <laughs> I don't know. It's, how do you, is it T O P? T A P? T A P. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wait. Tapas. T A P A S? Yeah, I think it's T A P A S. Okay. T A P A S. And, and get on there, get on there and, and search for quarterly stories. Add that to your library, subscribe to it, and uh, and that's that's the most helpful thing that you can do with him. And then uh, with my stuff, I have just launched uh, that poster. Um, and so if you want if you want a big poster of my new nonsense mashup uh, characters, uh, you can you can grab that. It's a it's a eighteen by twenty four. Should look really nice. Game over.